African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, It is uh, uh, Tuesday, the 25th of July, uh, just uh, almost right in the middle of the year. Uh, Thank you for giving us your time right here on African Dialogue. With me, Benjamin Mushadama. We're on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. DSTV channel 802, www.channelafrica.co.za is our website. Well, today we're going to be looking at South Sudan, a very concerning situation. The four states have been declared as states of emergency uh, by the president in the country, Salvakir. So we'll be looking at that. What is the condition happening there? We'll be following up on the story. We've been looking at this uh, South Sudan situation for a long time. A lot is happening there. Intense uh, inter-ethnic uh, fights are happening in the country. There's a barring of uh, some media organizations there. So there's a lot of questions around South Sudan. But before we get into that, let's get our news from Musa. In the headlines, Egypt's President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi vows to keep up the Qatar blockade. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta fails to show for an election debate. And the Syrian Observatory says eight people have been killed in Ghouta airstrikes. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Moussa. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi says his government will keep up a blockade of Qatar by four Arab states over charges that it supports terrorism in defiance of international efforts to end the crisis. Speaking at a youth conference, al-Sisi said Egypt would stand by its decision and will not backtrack on this matter. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Egypt severed diplomatic and travel ties with Qatar in June, accusing it of supporting Islamist militants, a charge that Qatar denies. Qatar's ruling Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani on Friday said he was ready for dialogue, but any solution must respect Qatar's sovereignty. Kuwait has sought to mediate and the United States and Germany have urged dialogue. Earlier, Saudi Arabia and its allies announced they blacklisted charity groups and individuals with ties to Yemen, Qatar and Libya. Kenya's opposition leader and presidential candidate Rayla Ding have taken part in a televised presidential debate alone after President Uhuru Kenyatta failed to show up. Odinga fielded questions from moderators in the debate, which was meant to have been Odinga and Kenyatta. Kenyatta's Jubilee Party had last week indicated that the Kenyan president would snub the debate following disagreements over the format. Sarah Kimani reports. The debate was delayed for 30 minutes as organizers waited for Uhuru Kenyatta following mixed signals from his office on whether Kenyatta would attend. Odinga then walked into the auditorium and fielded questions for 90 minutes. 
on Sunday, Kenyatta opted to have a Facebook live chat taking questions from Kenyans online. In the first segment of the debate, only three out of the six minor candidates appeared for the debate. They were not slated to debate either Kenyatta or Odinga. Dr. Ivo Sawakinski of South Africa's Witt School of Government Governance has compared Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba's sentiments on foreigners in South Africa to those of U.S. President Donald Trump. Lawyers for human rights have slammed Mashaba for saying foreigners are not the responsibility of the city, but rather of national government. He says he will only provide accommodation for South Africans, adding that it's national government's responsibility to address the issue of foreigners in South Africa. Mashaba was responding to criticism over the eviction of more than 250 people from a dilapidated building in the central business district in Johannesburg, Sawakinski explains. It raises a whole range of issues about South African foreign policy and it raises other issues about South Africans' sentiment towards their fellow African people from neighboring states. And if we adopt such a narrow technical legal view, we are going to become terribly isolationist and we're going to end up following a foreign policy very similar to Donald Trump in America. The Seren Observatory for Human Rights says overnight airstrikes have killed at least eight people in the rebel-held eastern Gotha. The deaths were the first civilian casualties in the area since a cessation of hostilities was declared there on Saturday. The strikes targeting the town of Aubin wounded an additional 30 people. The Civil Defense for Rural Damascus, a rescue service operating in the area, says the dead included five children and two women. And finally, researchers at a British university say at least 10,000 lives can be saved every year if people who receive HIV treatment late are also given a bundle of drugs to prevent other illnesses. The BBC's Jane Draper reports. Many people in countries such as Uganda and Kenya still don't start the crucial drugs for HIV until the virus has already taken hold of their immune system. This means they're at high risk of death in the early stages of treatment. But in this study, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, people with high levels of virus in their blood were given a package of low-cost medicines to prevent other infections, as well as a nutritional supplement. This cut deaths and also hospital admissions. Recapping the top stories, Egypt's President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi vows to keep up the Qatar blockade. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta fails to show for an election debate. And the Syrian Observatory says eight people have been killed in Gota airstrikes. Well, thank you, Anne, for that news update. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us. We'll be with you until midday Central African time. Let's get into the story of today. Uh, South Sudan's President Salva Kiir has declared a state of emergency in parts of the country's northwest. It's believed that uh, the state of emergency is imposed in four states. Reasons for the decrees have not been made available. The state of emergency is expected to last for three 
three months, the conflict in South Sudan has killed tens of thousands of people and displaced more than two million since 2013. The last state of emergency was in 2014 in Unity State in the north and Zhongli in the east as rebels fought uh, government forces. Now, tensions continue between both sides as heavy fighting has also escalated in the east of the country. Well, thank you uh, for joining us for this conversation. On the line, we have His Excellency Ambassador uh, Natana. Thank you for giving us your time. He's the South Sudan Ambassador uh, to South Africa. We also have Jok Maduj Jok, who is the executive director of the Sud Institute. Now, let me start with you, Your Excellency Ambassador, in terms of uh, uh, let's look at uh, this declaration of uh, this uh, uh, state of emergency. Uh, what were the reasons behind it? We've been told that it's because of the tensions and the inter-ethnic fighting in various states, uh, fighting in Gogrial and the states of Tonj, Wayu, and Iwil East. Can you give us more information on this? Well, actually, the state of emergency that has been declared in the four states, uh, which are part of the Greater Upper Nile, uh, came a result uh, as um, as a result of the communal fighting that has been taking place uh, between communities that belong to these states. And um, uh, unfortunately, this this um, um, this conflict has escalated to a level that the police are unable to deal with the situation. So the state of emergency mainly has been declared so that uh, the army could be able to be called in in order to try to put a stop to, to this uh, communal uh, violence, which is unfortunately claiming lives of innocent people. Hmm. Uh, Ambassador Natana, what's also worrying is the fact that is the inter-ethnic uh, violence just between various uh, ethnic groups or is also part of the, the government or also part of this particular fight in fighting? No, the government is not part of that. It is just uh, communities that are, are, are in these states. And most of these people who are actually involved in this are, are actually uh, uh, youth and, and people who are uh, who are from the cattle uh, camps. So they, they don't have any military affiliation, but they are just, these are just armed uh, groupings that, that originate from these areas. Mm, let me bring in Jacques Madut. Jacques, thank you for giving us your time. I know that uh, I think you're in the U.S., so thank you for giving us your time. I know that, Jacques, you had to wake up a little bit earlier. Uh, but your thoughts about uh, this moment that South Sudan finds itself in with this uh, state of emergency, it seems uh, a very worrying moment, especially in terms of the historical facts that are highlighted, that the last uh, uh, state of emergency was in 2014 in Unity State, and uh, the factor as well, what will this do in terms of uh, uh, the resumption of peace talks in the country? Hello. Um, yes, I don't think that the state of emergency uh, declared in, a, in a, a particular region of the country is really going to be an impetus for uh, resumption of negotiations. Okay. Um, it is uh, a slightly a separate issue because you see the thing with uh, the war in South Sudan, uh, as it is in many other African countries, is that it is often multi-layered, uh, right. such that uh, there is a, a big civil war going on between major parties involving the government, but below that there are uh, other types of conflict, including breakaway groups, uh, militias that uh, have or don't have 
any political agenda, uh, criminal agenda, and so forth. But then lower than that, there is this communal feud. There are sometimes over resources, sometimes over uh, grudges uh, related to lack of justice uh, for previous wars. Uh, as the country has been reeling under this uh, political conflict for over 30 years. So uh, the, the, the declaration of a state of emergency the other day is really specifically to try to bring a uh, stop or uh, slow down uh, what is essentially a very localized uh, type of violence mm. in communities that are within one ethnic group. Can we unpack the dynamics there? What's happening in terms from a communal perspective that's uh, creating uh, this attention, Jock? Well, one one particular thing that you can point to as a as a as a driver of this conflict, because this is not the first time it has been recurrent and and, and for over many years, uh, is that um, the communities are uh, without uh, state presence in their lives in terms of uh, services, in terms of uh, law enforcement, in terms of justice. Uh, The state is uh, ubiquitously absent from the lives of everyday people so that when there is uh, a feud over resources or over uh, lack of justice, like somebody got killed and there was no recourse, uh, these are some of the things that lead to such conflict. And mm-hmm. this particular one between a group, a community called a Guok and a community called a Puk, uh, is really uh, a, a war over uh, the uh, these these historical grudges that have built up due to absence of the state. And uh, and it is this uh, absence of the state which is manifesting itself so. Uh, 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 greatly all across South Sudan that uh, it just happened to be this particular uh, state that was, uh, those particular states, four of them were, were, were put under this state of emergency because of the intensity of the communal violence in this past uh, past month. Uh, that is what called for the state of emergency. Otherwise, this is not the only place in the country that has this. Uh, all across the country, there is a lot of violence of the, those multiple labor layers that I've just described to you. Mm. Well, let me bring it back to you, uh, Ambassador uh, Philip Natana, in terms of uh, the concern of the government in terms of dealing with this particular issue, because it seems like there's a social context in all of this, as was highlighted by yourself and uh, Jock Madud there. But what is also worrying for me is the fact that uh, military power is that the only way to deal with this particular issue. I mean, the country's information minister, Michael Mukei, uh, said the army would be given powers to stop the fighting in these particular four states. But uh, is there more intervention that is required here in terms of uh, putting these particular uh, tribes or groups into a particular space for more uh, a conversation to take place and to actually unpack the uh, the issues that are taking place from a socio-political level? Well, I think um, uh, recently there has been a lot of uh, uh, reporting actually of what has been happening on, 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 on a, a, I mean, the conflict which has almost a, a similar um, characteristics, but this is on the eastern part of, of South Sudan. That is between uh, that is between uh, youth of uh, Jongule, the Dika from Jongule, and the Mule youth. And this was all among also about uh, you know castle wrestling and 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 then the government 
uh, actually decided to take a different approach uh, by forming a high-level peace delegation under the uh, chairmanship of um, the first vice president, uh, His Excellency Taban Dengai, and I think the, that that committee brought both the communities of, of the Murle and the Dikabo from the two um, neighboring states of Jongole and, and, and Buma to try to discuss uh, some of the root causes and try to go for reconciliation and see that they, they, they solve these issues because uh, this has been uh, unfortunately recurring issues and and and, and the best approach uh, to, to deal with it is really to try to, to bring these communities together to discuss and then to ask their um, help in order to identify some of the uh, of, of the culprits because um, as is clearly been seen, some of these um, uh, conflicts actually have uh, uh, you know characteristics of, of of criminality and there are criminal tendencies. Uh, people who because of people who try to exploit uh, the, the 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 weak institutions of government that unfortunately have been affected due to this long uh, period of war that Madhus had, had already spoken about and and so they you know you can't only deal with one approach but you have to try to deal with uh, different approaches to try to see that you try to resolve the, the issues. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll bring in Kwe uh, Zimlibisa, uh, who is joining us from the African Center for the Reconstruction or Reconstructive Resolution of Disputes that are Court, and we'll bring him into the conversation. Kwe uh, Zimlibisa is a researcher and also has uh, done a lot of things there in terms of uh, peacekeeping uh, research uh, within a court. We'll bring him after this conversation. Uh, it seems like uh, there's a lot that is confirmed with this issue of uh, the state of emergency here because it's been highly politicized in terms of, uh, especially when it comes to the humanitarian space, a lot of conversations happening there and uh, mainstream media people saying that uh, uh, there are donors that are saying they want to pull out even from the uh, peacekeeping process uh, uh, because of the violence that's taking place uh, in South Sudan. Well, we'll continue our conversations. If you're just joining us, we've got His Excellency Ambassador uh, Philip Natana who's joining us. He's the South Sudan ambassador to South Africa. We've got Jok Badu Jok, who's the executive director of the Sud Institute. And then we'll come back to Kwezi Mlibisa after this break. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 
Well, you are listening to Channel Africa. Yes, giving you the African perspective. We're getting uh, more elaborations on what's happening in terms of South Sudan. We know that there's been a three-month state of emergency in uh, some of the states there. And uh, we know that, uh, as was highlighted by our guests on the line there, alluding to the fact that uh, it is really inter-ethnic fights that are taking place from a communal perspective. But I want to come back to you, Your Excellency Natana, in terms of looking at how does this make more uh, complex the issue of the already uh, uh, issues within the political landscape in uh, South Sudan? We know that there is also kind of uh, a gap in that particular space, especially when it comes to uh, negotiations that are t- to take place between, and we've spoken about this so many times, the rift between uh, the Riek Machar faction and the uh, Salvakir uh, conversation. We know that uh, the Machar factor also makes things a little bit more complex complex because uh, Machar himself is currently in South Africa. Well, that's what people are claiming after fleeing from the country. Uh, what are the developments on this particular issue and what does the state of emergency do to make things more complex or is it a separate issue? Your Excellency, are you there with me? Hello. Uh, is that uh, Mr. Natana there on the line? Yes, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on the line. Yeah, sorry, I didn't catch the last question you were talking about. Can you speak? Uh, repeat that again. Please. All right, I apologize for that, but let me try to clarify it for you. I was looking at the political crisis as well in South Sudan makes things more complex, and I don't know how the state of emergency has been conflated due to uh, the historical uh, political. Uh, gaps that we see, especially when it comes to the conversation that's supposed to take between Rek Machar's group and uh, uh, the uh, current president of Salva Kiir. Uh, I just wanted to know, uh, are those issues conflated or are they two separate issues or do they create a, a more complex situation for the political situation in the country? Well, uh, as I said it a little bit earlier, the state of emergency that has been declared um, uh, in this um, um, three or these four states, which are uh, part of the data bars as well, these are areas that predominantly have not been, uh, you know, affected by this conflict, which has resulted, which was resulted from the 2013 um, conflict that started in Juba and and then spread throughout the country and become uh, a, a civil war. Mm. So these these are just um, uh, fighting within uh, the the communities that are there. So. Uh, to have the, the state of emergency declared in that area is, is completely different from the overall situation, which is um, which is uh, happening uh, all over the country in terms of um, in the other parts of the country. I mean, mm. see in terms of the civil uh, the civil war. Just maybe to point out uh, the fact that yesterday uh, there has been actually an extraordinary summit of the IGAD. Uh, foreign ministers in Cuba to mm. try to review the implementation of the peace agreement, which is, uh, the, which is in regards to the general conflict that is happening in, 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 uh, I mean in South Sudan. And, and I think even in that meeting, there wasn't anything that was being dealt with, uh, I mean, or referred to uh, in terms of the state of emergency. So these are two uh, different um, have been conflicts that actually need to be understood in that mm-hmm. in, uh, so that it doesn't really make it so complex and then people uh, maybe uh, try to, to lose sight of what is actually to be addressed. 
Well, let's let's talk about that because I know that's a very central uh, conversation that's happening, and it's a very important one that you highlight, uh, Ambassador. Uh, the Intergovernmental Authority for Development, EGADS, uh, uh, South Sudan intervention. It was very clear uh, coming out of that particular conversation that there must be a revitalized uh, uh, conversation that actually takes place. There must be a revitalization of the peace agreement in South Sudan. Any updates that you could give us on? on that particular front on how that conversation is going? Well, actually, the, there was a communique that was issued yesterday after the conclusion of the meeting uh, of the IGAT uh, Council of Ministers. And, of course, um, I mean, uh, the IGAT uh, uh, foreign ministers that was held in Juba. And, uh, of course, the, the, that communique underlines uh, the importance of revitalizing that that uh, revitalization of that the, the the agreement that was signed agreement on the resolutions of conflict in in South Sudan said that at least um, you know critically people look at areas where uh, there are difficulties in implementation and people should should move uh, ahead with that but that is also and, uh, and that meeting has been very important because it actually comes clearly, and this was a stress out because I think uh, many people, if not least those also in the media, misunderstood and thought that this is going to be an opening up and a reno- renegotiation of the whole agreement, which is not actually the case. But this is just to try to mm. to look at uh, timelines of the implementations and see the challenges to the implementation of the, the peace agreement and therefore the revitalization and not the renegotiation of the peace agreement. Mm. Let me bring it to Kwezi. I hope that we have him back on the line. That's Kwezi Nibisi, Nibisa, rather, who is from uh, uh, Accord uh, there, an expert when it comes to conflict management and peacekeeping. Uh, in terms of the complexities here, there's ethnic fighting that's happening on the ground, and also there is this uh, political situation that needs to so- be sorted out. I know both of our guests, uh, Mr. Joker Madujok and His Excellency Ambassador Philip Natana, saying these are separate issues, but how do they come? complicate things for you, Kwezi, in dealing with South Sudan? Well, I think we're struggling with that particular line. I don't know if the uh, the guys should actually sort that out, that line with the Kwezi Mnubisa. I think it's actually maybe the channel on that particular line. But let's see if we can sort it out. But uh, Jok Madhu Jok, let me come to you. In terms of uh, uh, the issues of South Sudan are very much complex and the political situation also is another layer that we need to deal with in terms of uh, what we've just already spoken about uh, with the, the ambassador. Your thoughts on uh, the crux of the matters, what issues need to be uh, really ironed out, especially with the processes of governance in the country. I know EGAD was there saying that those talks were uh, supposed to be revitalized. Uh, Your thoughts on on, on that front? Yes, um, I think there are uh, two separate processes here. Um, The national level peace talks uh, that are uh, mediated by EGAD and supported by the African Union and mm. by the international community as a whole. And these con- these talks are what is now, uh, now what are now stalled because uh, there is a split in one of the main oppositions. Uriango Char sitting in in, in in South Africa, and his uh, former deputy Taban Dengai having taken his place as first vice president. So that has split the biggest opposition mm. and when the opposition is displayed it means that there are multiple uh, uh, players and with multiple players it is very difficult to reach a compromise and that is mm. where uh, the peace agreement is now 
uh, it's stuck for, for over a year since the, its implementation started and hasn't really uh, achieved much. And so that is what needs to be revitalized, and that is what the IGAT people are in Juba for. Uh, a lot of people in South Sudan has, have lost hope in this process, especially that it is still com- trying to compromise the top la- layer of the conflict, and at, but at the same time leaving out all the other parts that are not really uh, so big in terms of political weight, but are equally dangerous for the future of the country. Uh, including these kinds of conflicts that we discuss in in Greater Bahar Ghazal, in in Jongle, in Upper Nile, and and uh, and currently in Equatoria, all of these layers of conflict need to be addressed uh, in terms of inclusive representation of all these yeah. parties. Yeah. You know, what what will become a more vitalized peace agreement? Yeah. But then there is all the other process, which is that it's linked to to, the, to, to to this one, but it is really a, a process that looks at the substantive issues of conflict throughout the country, uh, including marginalization of the vast swath of population, including, uh, particularly the youth. South Sudan is a very young country with over 73% of the population under the age of 30. And, and these youth, majority of them, 90% of them are unemployed and have no education and don't have uh, really any future to look uh, to. So any kind of political settlement that happens at the top without addressing these uh, lower level, social and, and, and economic level of everyday people will simply not have any meaning to them. And therefore, will have, they will have, the majority of the population will have no stake in the success or failure of a peace agreement. Mm-hmm. So any, any political peace agreement at the top has to be committed to searching for problems that drive conflict at the communal level, mm. uh, not just poverty and unemployment, but also uh, clear channels of communication between citizens and the state. So you need a new mm. constitution mm. Uh, that will assure people that they have a stake in the state. You also need a program of nation building that mm. will go on for almost a generation because you need South Sudanese to be able to graduate from citizenship in that five to being citizens in South Sudan, a process that has been missed and absent completely in the interest of building a state. Building a strong state is good, but the flip side to the state is nation, which is the people themselves. Uh, all these processes need to go to be to be considered at the table. Mm. Let me bring in uh, Quiz. Hope that we can have him this time around. We've tried him three times, but let me see if he's on the line. Quiz, um, let, look, it's very complex, and I think Jock highlighted very much different areas. They started with the fact that we need to get the peace process, peace talks process going forward. We need that representation in terms of the peace talks, but there's also this inter-ethnic uh, social cohesion that you need on the lower ground in terms of uh, uh, the the social s- setup within uh, the uh, South Sudan uh, society. It's very complex, isn't it, Kwezi? Good morning, and thank you very much for having me. Indeed, it is a very complicated situation. But I think that um, as a way of adding more agreement to not just simply the complexity of it all, but on the urgent need to actually get these multiple processes going on, let us take a moment and perhaps uh, look at the kind of conversation that we're having. Pretty much uh, the narrative of uh, the peace process uh, needing to be resuscitated and, and, and needing to yield some results is basically a narrative that us from the outside, whether we are part of the Quartet, which is the EU, the UN, the UK, um, and Norway, whether it is the African Union, whether it is IGAD, 
This is part of our staple narrative, mm. where when we look into a situation in crisis, we're quick to say that we will not at any stage give um, solutions, but the parties, which means the elites of the, the, the protagonists, have got to find an accommodation from when we as outsiders, we can then provide some support in building that state, in making sure that state that is emerging is inclusive, mm. it is responsive to the social, to the reconciliation, and a variety of other things. But we never really uh, look at the situation for what it is, what we have right now. Regardless of, the, uh, despite the effort of setting up a state as weak as it may have been, none of the very important uh, issues were actually even uh, addressed by the agreements that were put into place. If you look into them, August 15th Comprehensive Peace Agreement that was put into place uh, in order to, to effect some sort of um, uh, accommodation between the two factions of the ruling party uh, then. None of the issues that were raised there actually spoke to the fundamental issues. It was just an accommodation arrangement. And if we are going to give this another uh, bite or another try, we will have to make sure that the processes of accommodation of the elites, as well as addressing some of the meaningful challenges, are being attended to simultaneously. The people of South Sudan cannot wait for the, 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 the leadership to, to accommodate each other. But at the same time, we mm. never downplay the importance of that accommodation because the protagonists are the ones that are holding on to the use of violence, which has seen all of the horrible things that we've seen. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll, we'll, we'll explore that a bit more. But uh, thank you uh, for giving us uh, your time there, quiz. I want to unpack some of those issues alongside Jock Madu Jock and uh, we'll see if the ambassador is still on the line and we can unpack that. Your thoughts, we're looking at this very complex situation in South Sudan. Now, we know that uh, there are two main issues here that we're looking at. It started as, a, let's look at the state of emergency that is for three months and uh, it seems like the, the Seems to be more that needs to be unpacking. There are two roads that need to be taken: social cohesion in South Sudan, and also ensuring that uh, there is an inclusive uh, revitalization of a peace process and peace talks that take place in the country. So, so much, so much that needs to be addressed in the country. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushata. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. 
Yes, indeed. Channel Africa, we're giving you the African perspective. And uh, I'm very interested to be speaking with uh, Kwezi there just to unpack some of those external forces that he also has highlighted that have been factored in now, especially with the recent uh, uh, developments in terms of peace talks. I mean, there has been uh, a conversation that's happening now with Western donor nations saying they will not commit further resources to supporting implementation of South Sudan's peace deal until the country's leaders find a credible way of relaunching an agreement ripped apart by this worsening a conflict. So, you know, now there's that external factor that's coming in, actually creating a pressure, already in a pressure point uh, for South Sudan. And how does uh, South Sudan actually now, with its own kind of di- uh, dilemma within its leadership structure, deal with uh, uh, this further external pressure, Kwezi? Benjamin, um, you've, you've, you've highlighted quite succinctly where, where the dilemma is. But I like the, the, the choices you make in terms of identifying who we are talking about. Uh, um, I think uh, commendably on your part, you are saying, how does South Sudan? But mm. the relief of the matter is that the people that are protagonists are not South Sudan. They are simply leaders of uh, factions of the ruling party. And that's different from it being representative of South Sudan. So let us start at the people that are supposed to be at the table, the protagonists. On the part of uh, vice, former Vice President Riek Masham, he is far more interested at this point in time in a new process because the, 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 the stipulations of the 15th of August 2015 uh, Comprehensive Peace Agreement, some of them have actually been overtaken by events. I mean, the fact that there's been a new vice president, uh, there, there's not been sufficient consultation according to the stipulations of the agreement on how to uh, convene a, a, a council of ministers sure. and the whole range of issues. That's one. On the part of, of President uh, Kir, he actually is showing tendencies of being keen on saying that there are spoilers and former Vice President Rick Masha is one of those spoilers and he must be excluded from the process. He's far more, or at least he's communicating an interest of dealing with serious people that are looking at peace. And I mean, we have seen a number of overtures. Just recently, uh, he has uh, supposedly reconciled with them, uh, uh, widow, widow of uh, uh, former uh, yes. President Karang. Karang I mean, so this bad. is all somewhat uh, showing an indication that he's far more interested in to bring it into a camp of consensus, some of the elements that formed part of a one strong SPLM. But now to, to, to address your question as to what role then for the external uh, uh, people. It would appear as if the members of the international community, especially the, the Quartet, EU, uh, US, uh, UK, and as well as Norway, appear to be also interested in actually supporting only a process that has got a chance of moving forward. This might communicate that uh, former President Rek Masha is somewhat being uh, excluded, or not only just excluded, but is, is, proved, is being proven to be a little bit less relevant than he was a couple of, of, of years ago when he was uh, uh, right at the forefront of being called upon to come to the table. What, what does this mean? It means we're going to still see a lot of complications. Uh, the Quartet is not the only international player in that scene. You've got the African Union. You've got the Intergovernmental Agency for Development. And you've got a, a UN presence, uh, which is headed by Rev. FSS Mohaye, who's chairing the Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission. And all of these players have literally expanded diplomatic, political uh, resources and goodwill in terms of mm. making sure that they are assisting the, the South Sudanese, or at least the protagonists, into this particular conflict. I think that many are experiencing fatigue. Many uh, do not have unlimited resources to put into play uh, in mm. South Sudan. And I think that the people of South Sudan are not 
being done favors by their political leadership on either side of the faction and they are not seemingly invested or sincerely so in finding a solution or an accommodation in the league. And mm. I want to emphasize, mm. Mm. an accommodation will just simply be a start of the grueling process that will still need to see the South Sudanese questions mm. being addressed. Mm. Let me bring that back to you, Ambassador uh, Natana, because I know you've passionately reprimanded me in terms of South Sudan having its own solutions versus uh, uh, the Western forces actually dictating a way forward for uh, for, for for them. But the question here is what uh, Quez is highlighting. All these main uh, figures within uh, uh, this particular talk are a representation of the country themselves, but there is a tussle of power within that space, as is highlighted by Quezi. And uh, uh, this inclusivity is something that uh, is becoming something that uh, South Sudan is failing at uh, from the outside perspective. Well, I think um, as I've, I've, I've you know mentioned on these um, on discussions with you several times ago, I, I think um, uh, to you know we accept the fact that there is a lot of goodwill from the international community, mm. from the neighbors and um, from the immediate member, uh, neighbors, but also from from other parts of, of 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 the region to see that you know peace prevails in in, in South Sudan, you know. But I think what really matters a lot there that we do really examine critically also is even the approach that they would want uh, to put there. And I think uh, some of, in some of these instances where the intentions have actually been good, but they, I think they are also being glossed over by, by, by interests, you know, which might not actually fit into and address the real core problems of, of um of, of the situation in South Sudan, you know, and um, I, I think as we in previous discussion, I've mentioned to you that you know the the genesis of this conflict was actually uh, from a dispute that that actually came out from the ruling party that is the SPLN, you know. So and um, there has been a lot of efforts, and and I think you have been quite uh, clearly following that, you know, by 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 you know parties that are like-minded mm. or parties from revolutionary like the ANC and the CCM to see that if you really want to address this, uh, this, this, this conflict, then actually it would be good for you to try to look it also from the aspect of the ruling uh, party, that is the SPLN, and that was why there was a lot of concerted effort that was done to see that at least there is a reunification of the SPLN that was done in, in Arusha, mm-hmm. and, and the three factions of the SPLN signed into that, you know, mm-hmm. and they saw that, that that could actually give an impetus for the implementation of the peace agreement. But see what happened from that, you know, I mean, there have been uh, very, um, uh, very, um, uh, very discouraging statements, not only statements, but actions actually from from other um, from other groups that were um, uh, that were helping to see that peace is restored in South Sudan because they did not disagree with that and they have their own opinions of what a United SPLM would be for South Sudan mm. and they try to work against it and see where we are up to today. Mm. Let me bring Jock in. I want to hear your sentiments. I hear these two statements coming from different trajectories of, of one uh, thought. Your thoughts on developments, especially in terms of the main key players in the the talks themselves because that's where the solution needs to be dealt with for things to actually filter down to the bottom jock yes um as i said uh, the any kind of uh, 
political settlement mediated by IGAD or any other foreign entity is not going to be anything more than an elite pack. And an elite pack might well uh, help in ratcheting down the level of violence, but it will not uh, solve the problems of the intractable problems of conflict and violence in the country if it does not look at all the different layers of society. And, and so um, uh, this is not unique to South Sudan. We have seen it in Congo, we have seen it in Somalia, where peace agreements are signed but never translate into actual peace in the lives of everyday people. So what, do, what are we looking at here? Uh, if we are really trying to help um, uh, South Sudan uh, steer its way out of this uh, state of malaise, uh, then we, as, uh, by we I mean everyone, the international community, regional powers, and, and neighbors to South Sudan, all of them have a stake in a successful, stable South Sudan. Because what happens within South Sudan usually does not stay only within South Sudan, and uh, whether it is peace or, or, or war. And so what needs to be done is really for us to be humble enough to say, to say that nothing, nobody can bring peace to South Sudan but South Sudanese themselves. And, and, and that, that will at the top, uh, at the political level, mm. to actually sit down and compromise in the interest of South Sudan is absent. Uh, just to be honest, I, I don't think these top leaders really don't have any interest in bringing a peace agreement that does not uh, translate into them uh, gaining public office. Uh, right. Any peace agreement that does not give them access to power and resources for them is not going to be a peace agreement and they will fight it and they will oppose it and it will fail again. So unless the Sudanese leaders themselves are uh, committed to giving peace a chance, even if that peace leads to loss of office, South Sudan would be a safe place. Any, uh, any nationalist leader should be able to take that kind of right. peace agreement. Right. And right. I don't think... We have that kind of national leadership mm. at the moment, all across the country, whether you are in opposition or in government. Uh, the, 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 the willingness to, to, to break up the country, if you, if you are not the one in control, is widespread mm. among well, the political class. Well, we have to. That is, the, that is the danger. We have to wrap it up, and uh, that is not a very hopeful ending uh, to that conversation. Very polarized views, different views from different spaces coming in our conversation. But I want to thank our guests for actually allowing us to talk about this issue. And uh, it started as one issue, but then you can see there's something always, always uh, deeper into uh, one subject matter. Thank you to His Excellency Ambassador uh, Philip Jalanatana, South Sudan Ambassador uh, to South Africa. Africa. Thank you always for making yourself available. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Jock Madhu Jock, who is the executive director of the Suit Institute. He's also an author of uh, various uh, uh, books on South Sudan. You should check them out. Uh, uh, I think he has uh, a very, br- very broad view of looking at South Sudan. So check out his material there. And also I want to thank uh, Kwezi Mnibisa, who is uh, joining us as a researcher and expert in conflict management and peace peacekeeping uh, for the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes. That takes us to 11.46 Central African time. We need to wrap it up. Let's get our business news. We've got Jolani with us.
Thank you, Benjamin. Good morning. South Africa's Tongat says it will build a refinery at its Mozambique.